Hello and a very warm welcome to this Master Investors March 2023 podcast. I'm delighted to be joined again by Jonathan Davis, author, investor, podcaster, teacher, editor of the Investment Trusts Handbook. So Jonathan, we're at the end of March and what a month it's been in terms of the unexpected. UBS buying Credit Suisse, uh, the all-share deal between FinCap and Sencos. It's becoming a very lean landscape. Well, yes, you've, uh, we've seen the equity market's been shrinking for years, actually, which is uh, not a good sign, uh, but there's a lot of activity in the private equity space. But uh, these mergers, well, I think the, we need to distinguish between the banks and the and, and the brokers. I mean, the banks, we've had, you know, rumours or potential signs of a banking crisis. Um, it's not just uh, the merger between Credit Suisse and UBS, but also uh, uh, the troubles at Silicon Valley Bank and all the spin-offs from that, uh, which is exercising the regulators and the central banks uh, a good deal, and not to mention investors. So it's been a, a kind of a month when... Um, you know, bad things look like they were about to happen, but in fact, they haven't happened. Uh, the markets have stabilized. The banks, uh, well, the bank shares, a lot of bank shares are still down a lot, but um, fears of a crisis seem to have receded a little bit. And, and in truth, it's a very different kind of crisis to what we had in uh, 2008. It's more akin to the savings and loan issue that came up in the early 1990s, which was probably when you were still, uh, you know, toddling around in your in your in your school gear, uh, Sarah, but, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> there are always echoes from the past. Uh, and uh, but it's it's a, it is a worrying time, because uh, if, if the banks get into trouble, then that has implications for the world economy and so on. As for the brokers, I think it's just a sign that, you know, business is tough. Business is very tough, uh, both on the, uh, you know, on the breaking side and on the uh, on the corporate side. Uh, it's uh, in terms of volumes and so on. It's been a tough year as we know, for the investors. And it's not, not a surprise to me to see some consolidation happening in the broking sector. Um, whether that's also going to spin out into the wider, you know, you know quoted market, I don't know. But um, it all depends how the how the economy goes from here. I'm still a little bit on the gloomy side, I have to say about that. But uh, others are more optimistic. Well, I suppose we could be slightly optimistic in terms of we haven't seen a, a complete banking sector implosion as we did in in 2008 I must admit I was being a bit complacent because I wasn't being affected by you know Silicon Investment Bank and UBS and Credit Suisse I wasn't being impacted directly but I suppose investors are being impacted by those undercurrents indirectly yes you are I mean the one of the problems that the banks have and, and Silicon Valley Bank had this but lots of banks have it at the moment is what's happened to interest rates. So interest rates, as we know, have gone up very sharply in the last year, up to around, and gilts are up to about 3.5% uh, from virtually nothing. And as a result, uh, a lot of people are finally waking up to the fact where their banks are still not paying them any interest on their deposits uh, to speak of. Uh, and so they're suddenly saying, well, actually, I could take my money out of the banks and I can put it either into money market funds or into gilts or bonds or other types of bonds. Uh, and they've been starting to do that. And of course, that means that... Uh, the bank the deposits that the banks have are, are going down uh and that means that their uh, their ratios of uh, assets to liabilities is also affected and the big issue that silicon valley bank and uh, others have had is that um it's all to do with bank accounting it's rather boring stuff but um 
the assets that the that the banks hold in order to protect against uh, liabilities and so on, a lot of those are in the form of government bonds. And government bonds have gone racking down in price because of the bond yields going up. And so the value of their, if you like, their assets on their balance sheet are much reduced at a time when they're also losing deposits. Now, you are allowed by the accounting practices to not to mark down the value of your a lot of your bonds if you uh, if you say you're going to hold them to maturity. But if they did actually mark them to market, you'd find that the banks, uh, the other side of the balance sheet was also in big trouble. So uh, there are issues for the banks here. Um, and the fact that investors uh, perhaps are not aware of what you say, but they are beginning to move their money out of banks uh, to, to get a higher yield. One of my other jobs is selling physical items, not selling from my portfolio, but selling items. So I do pay attention to what's going on in the Royal Mail. And I, I see a new postman every day, it seems sort of more paper boy age. They're getting younger and younger. But I'm wondering what will happen if Royal Mail goes into administration and, and what that what that means for the parent group, IDS? Well, that's not what I look at very closely. I mean, you're lucky to see a postman at all. We have a very sporadic uh, postal service in Oxford. It seems to be one of the epicenters of all sorts of trouble. They have the dreaded word reorganization has been heard around the place, which means that we see a, a different person uh, when they do appear. But when they do appear, it's very sporadic. So kind of weekly magazines arrive. Sometimes they arrive the next day. Sometimes they arrive two weeks later. It seems to be entirely random. Um, well, yeah, but of course, uh, the issue for the, the Royal Mail is they, uh, you know, they're putting up their prices all the time, you know, I don't know if you've sent a letter to anywhere recently, but it's a, it's a pretty expensive thing. So basically, they, um, you know, the, the letters business is shrinking and uh, will go on shrinking um, and they're still not making any money out of it. So uh, basically, I don't think there has to be some kind of universal postal service uh, that people can use. Um, and effectively, it should be really be supported by the state rather than by a, a private listed company as, as IDS is now. And they want to get on with developing their international business. So it's a big problem. It's a sort of kind of the problem was, um, if you like, um, uh, the, the buck was passed when the thing was privatized, but it hasn't really been solved. And uh, I think it will go on that way. We'll all be forced to end up, you know, for most things, we're going to use email and so on. So I don't know what it means for the company. Um, but I'm sure they'd love to get rid of it if they could. What did the budget mean for the likes of you and I, Jonathan? I mean, you and I are freelancers with a portfolio career because of March. Of course, we heard from the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Uh, we did. Yeah, we did. And it was an interesting budget, I thought. I mean, the, the sort of bottom line is, as we knew from uh, the mini budget uh, last year or the autumn statement, Taxes are going up a lot. So, you know, basically income tax is going up um, for two reasons. Um, you know, the stealth, the stealth uh, increases by virtue of freezing, uh, by freezing the uh, the allowances you get every year and by general taxation increases in other areas. So basically tax is going up in order to pay for all the debt that the government has, essentially, uh, as a result of COVID and the war in Ukraine and supporting energy prices. You know, nothing is really for free. Uh, so we're all going to have to pay more for that. Uh, on the positive side, though, the um, you know the ending the lifetime allowance for pension contributions will be helpful to a number of uh, people, a number of investors. Um, it's uh, if you get close to that million or whatever it is, roughly million uh, limit, then um, you know it, it has been a problem for a lot of uh, relatively well-off people. That problem has uh, has been alleviated somewhat, 
though when you read the small print the amount you can actually contribute and so on is not that much greater than it was so uh, that's positive though that's helpful um and of course ISAs remain and uh, VCT regime remains and so on uh, I was part of a, a seminar that Marshall Investor did about VCTs a couple of days ago and uh, it was very interesting um it's a, a kind of niche area really suitable only of interest to you know basically I have to say wealthier people or the young the young should be more aware about it um and that regime survives so there are good news for uh, investors but again so there has to be set um you know the impact on the markets and the uh, the higher tax that uh, we're all going to have to pay uh, in the next few years uh, at least uh, under the current plans but as you know Sarah very well everything changes you know that's one of our problems with our system they, they muck around with the pension system every year they change it they do this they do that they change the tax system every year um you know it's not what it's not what sensible countries should do but it's what we have to live with and for the self-employed people like you and I as I say there's always this end of year problems um I don't know what your experience is do you kind of uh have do last minute ISA investing and uh, uh trying to work out how much you can put into uh into a pension or not uh, does that an issue that uh, you have to wrestle with at the end of each financial year I must admit I'm pretty lazy so I do tend to leave those kind of decisions right until the last minute which of course isn't when you get the best deals because in, in previous podcast you were advising me Jonathan that um, we should actually be making our financial decisions in the summer absolutely that I think is best practice and uh, mainly because the markets are often weaker in the summer so you get better better deals but also you know you're you can make more plans now the problem the self-employed have and uh, I know this very well and I'm sure you have the same experiences you know in the middle of uh, the summer you don't actually know what your final year income is going to be if you are a freelance and you do lots of different things like I do uh, and you do uh, you don't quite know what the what your final uh, income is going to be and therefore you can't actually work out what the most tax effective decisions to make are but in an ideal world, yes, you, I think the better way to do it is either to make your sort of ISA and decisions uh, and similar decisions in the summer or do it on a regular basis. So just pay, you know, so much a, a month into your pension or into your ISA uh, and uh, hopefully it doesn't all go wrong at the end of the year. But uh, that does. And um, if you're also involved in the VAT regime, uh, which I've been involved in the VAT regime for many years uh, <clears throat> until quite recently, it's... Um, it's frankly a nightmare it's an absolute bloody nightmare I have a, making tax digital uh I've been looking I've been reading in about that recently you know we all if if you have a a business or a pay VAT, you have to uh, use making tax digital in other words and you have to uh, pay your people to help you do that so that's another cost um and it just doesn't work in some cases in VAT in my experience with VAT and, and making tax digital has been an absolute nightmare uh, combined with what happened during COVID when, you know, all the, everything went, all the systems went crash and, and no one could keep track of what was going on. Uh, so if I log into my Making Tax Digital account uh, for VAT, it says, you don't owe any VAT uh, to the tax man. And then I sort of do that. And the next day I get a letter from the VAT, so from HMRC saying, you owe us X VAT, which I actually did owe <laughs> But there's there's no uh, there's no uh, there's no tie up between what what's on the on the making tax digital uh, platform and what was actually happening to your VAT and there's no way of kind of putting it right so uh, it's uh, it's a constant nightmare it wastes a huge amount of time uh, I've had to have several calls with HMRC which when you get through to them which is usually you know not less than three days after you start hanging on the phone 
uh, you can have a sensible conversation, but it takes forever to get through to them. And uh, even then, when they say they're going to do something, in my experience, nothing actually happens. You know, one arm of the HMRC is not talking to the other. So basically, I'm a bit of a ranter about HMRC, uh, making tax digital for income tax, which is coming in, or at least has been threatened to come in, has been deferred yet again uh, because <laughs> by the government, because it is, you know, making these kind of changes uh, is absolute nightmare. We're not very good at it, I'm sorry to say. I mean, uh, you know, people talk about broken Britain and all that stuff. I think that's exaggerated. But we're just not good at doing these public, um, you know, services that we should be able to do very efficiently. We just, we're just no good at it. And uh, it's very frustrating for lots of people. We all suffer, um, you know, uh, not always in silence. You're, that was a very gentle rant, but I think I'm with you. I'm not an ambassador of the VAT system. But going back to um, VCTs, um, for for um, young investors who are not familiar with that acronym, Venture Capital Trusts. So I know your webinar went on for almost 90 minutes yesterday. So what were the key takeaways? Well, the key takeaways are, I mean, there, there's some questions about the, the VCT regime has been in place for uh, a number of years and it gives, you know, basically essentially gives you tax breaks if you invest in uh, early stage companies that uh, could, possibly won't, but could become, you know, the, the big names of the future. So it's designed to encourage uh, support for uh, new businesses, essentially innovation. And the rules when they were first introduced were pretty relaxed and you could you could actually invest in all sorts of things which weren't very, very early stage. Uh, and uh, the tax benefits include you get a 30% you know, uh, deduction from your income tax uh, to the full amount of your investment. You get tax-free dividends and you get tax-free capital gains as well. So it's all very attractive um, if the things actually perform. Uh, but the question is, has the sort of market changed? First of all, we've had a bad you know, stock market last year uh, and technology shares, listed technology shares have taken a real beating, as we know, NASDAQ's down and so on. Um, so the question is, you know, what happened to the valuations of VCTs and their ability to go on paying dividends? Uh, and also whether the recent changes in the budget are actually going to uh, diminish the uh, attraction of VCTs. Because if you can, for example, can put more money into a pension because of the lifetime uh, allowance being abolished, uh, then that's an alternative to putting money into VCTs. Because most people who put money into VCTs are either uh, retired people who use the income, the tax-free income is very helpful because you have to pay tax on your pension income, of course. Uh, or for young high earners, uh, they should be looking at this if they've got a lot of, you know, kind of spare cash. And if you're young uh, and a high earner these days, you you could be in that camp. It's a very good way to do it long-term saving. Uh, so the question is, has it all changed the budget? The answer seems to be no. Uh, the attractions are still there. And, uh, you know, they, obviously it's the end of this financial year. There's only a few days to invest in the remaining VCTs. And apropos our earlier comments, um, you know, you should be looking at VCTs earlier in the year because the best ones have all closed already. They've done their offers. They're usually fixed amounts uh, with a possibility of increasing it a little bit. And they've all closed, you know, long since. So, um, but uh, for the future, it does look like these tax benefits are very valuable. And of course, it's high risk. Uh, and so therefore, it helps to have a, a diversified portfolio if you're if you can, you can put up to 200,000 a year. So that would uh, take up uh, only some of your savings every year, uh, Sarah. But, you know, um, if you've got a spare 200,000, uh, I'd recommend a portfolio of ECTs uh, to round out all your other things. I mean, the other point is you shouldn't 
have more than say 10% of your overall portfolio in BCTs because they are very risky, but uh, they do actually provide a very tax efficient uh, alternative for higher risk, smaller company investment. Yeah, I love your optimism about the amount of savings that you think I have. Um, I know, Sarah, you don't can't fool me. I know. That's no wonder you were worried about, you know, Swiss banks and so on, because you've got your money stashed away in, in the mountains somewhere. Maybe in the Alpine cheese, Asiago, a very good cheese. <laughs> um, so we are coming to the end of March. And I remember, gosh, it was, yeah, three months ago when you were saying to me, as January goes, so the year goes by or something like that. And you, and you had anticipated that the year was going to be a stormy one. I mean, so far we've seen a lot of cleansing and detoxification, no, cleansing going on in the junior markets. Um, a lot of very popular chief executives, they've they've gone. So it just seems as though there's it is stormy and not just on a personnel level for some of the junior companies. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's not just junior companies. I think, uh, you know, the... Uh... <clears throat> Uh, so goes so goes January, so goes the year is an old market saying, uh, which I think I was rather sceptical about when we spoke last time. Uh, I, that's If you're an optimist, that's what you rely on. Uh, I don't actually think that's how it's going to play out this year. I think we've got more, uh, you know, more more trouble to come uh, just because this is one of these big resets that you get every so often, every 10 years or so, typically. Uh, and we haven't yet seen the full effect. Now, it is true that the market, the equity markets uh, have been... Uh, okay this year i mean they've given up all the gains mostly they they no not all the gains some of the gains that they made since in january uh, but they're still kind of hanging in there uh, and bond yields have sort of seemed to be stabilizing but they seem to stop going up um, because of the economy is still quite strong uh, so that's you know if you like good news but i think it's just postponing uh, the evil day i mean one of the mysteries is why the economy is still so strong after these big interest rate rises which normally and not to mention the higher energy prices which would normally have an impact on uh, on the economy. Uh, and there's there's two reasons that one is there's always lags between things changing and people actually adapting their behavior. So that's that's normal. Uh, you know, unemployment always lags. Um, things going wrong at higher interest rates and so on. Uh, so that's one issue. Um, on the other hand, there's also it seems to be there's still this residual effect uh, of consumers. You know, they, they got quite a lot of money actually out of covid you know government handouts and so on and while and the help from the energy prices so while there is a cost of living crisis uh it doesn't seem to reach consumers they still seem to be spending uh, a lot of money and maybe they you know it's a bit like um you know the cartoon character who keeps running off the edge of a, a diving board or whatever it is that hasn't noticed that there's <laughs> yes, a descent coming um it's a it's a fascinating paradox the economists are scratching their heads which is which is as normal. And uh, people are on both sides of the argument. Some people say, well, it just shows we're not going to have a big recession and, and uh, market sell off. And others, uh, which I'm more sympathetic, I fear, who think that it's still going to get worse when we see these uh, knock on effects. Uh, and what you're talking about is true. I mean, a lot of uh, small companies will find that they are going to find it harder to borrow uh, or their cost interest costs will go up. Uh, a lot of uh, companies may feel the need to, to merge to they're too small. In the investment trust world, which I'm very close to, that's uh, happening as well. Consolidation between different funds because they're both too small or because they have specific issues. So, uh, and if you walk down the, I was walking down, uh, I was in London uh, a couple of days ago and was walking down, and you can begin to see, 
you know, empty offices uh, and things like that uh, appearing again. I mean, we saw them during COVID, but appearing again. And these are all kind of, uh, I have a fear, kind of straws in the wind of what might be might be coming. Uh, but as soon as we get through that, and who knows when that will be, it might be by the end of the year, we're going to see things are picking up again. So we might actually see things get a lot worse. And then by the end of the year, we can go back and say, well, look, in January, things went up. And uh, over the year as a whole, they're up. But that will maybe be because we've been through a bit of a bit of a slump in the meantime. Go on, cheer me up, Jonathan, because I know that you have a very exotic social life and you apportion some of your disposable income to great events such as the Oxford Literary Festival. What did Ian Wilson have to talk about? Oh, well, that was interesting. Yes, I went to that uh, last night and it was uh, it was fascinating. I mean, he is uh, a uh, I mean, he started off uh, first in Trude on My Mary way back in the sort of 1980s when he was a, a classic young fogey. If you remember the young fogies, he was like kind of Reese Mogg of his day, uh, very old fashioned and very kind of uh, pleased, uh, uh, pleased about doing so. But actually, he's he's a, he's a very good writer. He's written lots of fiction, lots of nonfiction, and he's uh, kind of matured. I think it's fair to say <laughs> since then. So he was talking about his life, which was really interesting, and his uh, his parents in particular. His father worked for Wedgwood, uh, the pottery maker, and was a, it appears to have been a genuinely uh, eccentric fellow. Who, uh, who, who, according to uh, A.N. Wilson, used to, when he, he would go anywhere, he'd go into a pub or he would stop people in the street and just start talking about his great passions in life, including Wedgwood and stuff. He literally engaged with, with strangers and just uh, started bending their ear for a long time about uh, things that interested him. So that was interesting. And then he also talked about, uh, perhaps rather more darkly, about his experiences uh, at, uh, at, at a boarding school, private boarding school, uh, which uh, were quite similar to mine, I have to say. Um, but he, uh, I say unlike me, but there was a lot of, well, frankly, um, you know, abuse going on, uh, sadism by the by by the teachers and so on. And it was a very, you know, traumatic experience for him. Um, though, uh, you know, as I was lucky not to be involved in, in the abuse thing. But, um, you know, it was a very strange world and it's long gone now because the private schools are regulated now. They were unregulated in those days. Can you imagine? Uh, you know, you 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 handed over your children to this uh, this uh, small uh, prep school or, or or bigger, and uh, they had complete control over your your children. And uh, you know, kids didn't. I mean, the other thing he talked about was how, which I remember also. I mean, kids went back and they just didn't talk about it to their parents. They didn't talk about it to them. It was just too you know horrendous to talk about. And so the parents never knew uh, until later what was what was going on. I mean, it's it's extraordinary experience given how you know we. Look across all the um, point he made. We look across all the institutions we we have. You know the BBC, the Catholic Church, uh, public schools, all these kind of old uh, institutions, and how they all their instinct is always to sort of cover up what's going on. Uh, and it went on for years. And uh, you know football clubs as well. We know there are a lot of issues there. Uh, it really is. I mean, shocking now in retrospect how how that all played out. So he was talking about that and how he's kind of you know how to deal with that and how he's recovered from it. So. Uh, it was interesting. It was a little dark in that place, but it was uh, it was interesting, and uh, uh, I enjoyed it. Yeah, you did enjoy it. I was going to say, how is that going to cheer me up, Jonathan? But you mentioned Wedgwood. However, um, I did sell my Wedgwood uh, recently, but you know, every time I do that, it comes back into vogue. But Jonathan, we'll have to leave it there. So I think Jonathan. Davies, the boarding school years will probably be our next podcast <laughs> conversation. But thank uh, you so much. And tell to tell. 
Yeah, that's the deal. But it's a lot better now. You know, it's a lot better now. So if you want to be encouraged, it's all a lot better now, at least so I'm led to believe. Yeah. And the final word should go to the Master Investor Show because, of course, we had yes. to delay it because of um, rail strikes. So the new date yeah. is Saturday, April the 15th. And, um, yeah, same amount of speakers, same amount of energy. I'm looking forward to it. So am I. I'm actually working on my presentation. I've got a 20-minute slot where I'm uh, hoping to put the world to rights. And uh, uh, I'm hoping also to... Uh, last year, I did it uh, in harness with uh, Simon Elliott, who's uh, my co-host on the podcast, Investment Trust podcast, or was. He's, uh, he can't do that anymore. But he might be making a guest appearance as well as uh, during my presentation. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's a very interesting time in the markets. I mean, it really is interesting. I'm looking forward to what Jim... Mellon has to say uh, he was uh, pretty helpful last year. I think most uh, investors would agree. Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to you know having a chance to share my thoughts for what they're worth. Uh, and also, more importantly, meet again some of the uh, many people who come up to me and talked about the Investment Trust Handbook or my other books or the podcast or any other witterings that, uh, that go on. So uh, I'm looking forward to it very much. Yeah, me too. I've got Nigel Newton, the chief executive, chief executive of Bloomsbury Publishing. So, um, yeah, I think I think I might have even have a better time than you. Ah. <laughs> Thank well, you, Jonathan. I've been delighted if that's the case. Yeah, of course. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Master Investor. For more investment and economics analysis, please visit masterinvestor.co.uk.